Thank you, Sybil. If you haven't opened your Bible yet, open it up so that you can see for yourself John 11, 45 through 57. And let's pray. That is our prayer again, Lord, that you would speak. You've given us your word, the Bible. And in it, you tell us about your son, who is your decisive word to us, so that we can know you. Lord, help us know you better today. Help us to know your great plan for this universe. And Lord, help us to love your control over all things for your glory in your Son. And it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So in this passage, here's what we see. We see wicked men who love this world fulfilling the purposes of God while trying to resist him. That's called vanity. You know what it means for something to be in vain? It's worthless. If you live your life trying to resist God, and in the end, you fulfill God's purposes, that's vanity. And God is holding out to you a life that is not in vain. And it comes through his son. That's what he's holding out to you. It's not wasted if you submit all of life to Jesus. And I hope that's what we see this morning. So here's how we're going we're gonna to look at this passage. We're going to start by looking at the Jewish leaders' love of this world. So that's why they're opposed to Jesus. They love this world. And so they don't want him to succeed. And then we'll see what plan it is that God intends to fulfill through Jesus. And finally, why resisting this plan is foolishness. Or perhaps more positively, why wisdom is when you connect your life to the purposes of God. It's what it is to be wise. So let's start by looking at the Jewish leaders' love of this world. Verses 45 through 47 say this. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did. Remember last week, he raised Lazarus to life. Believed in him. And that's what Jesus was after. He said, this miracle is for the glory of God so that you might believe. And some of them do. But, verse 46, some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council. Okay, so the council is also called the Sanhedrin. It was a group of probably around 70 Jewish men from the high priest's family, some Pharisees, some wealthy landowners. Rome was in charge of Israel at this time. But Rome had given the Jews a little bit of freedom to govern, them, govern themselves as it relates to Jewish law. So they couldn't execute anybody. We know that because when they want to get Jesus killed, what do they have to do? They've got to go to the Roman governor and have him do it. But they did have authority over Jewish law. You would hope, wouldn't you, 
that these men whose job it is to study the word of God and to, to decide cases of Jewish law would recognize this is the one that the Old Testament has been promising from the beginning who would come and rescue us. And you would hope that they would want to see him lifted up, exalted. But that's not what they care about. John, the gospel writer, lets us know what they care about. Let's keep going in verse 47. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So what do they care about? They care about their place. They care about their position. That's what they're afraid the Romans are going to take away from them. So as they think about what to do with Jesus, what are they not considering? They're not considering what is right. They're not considering what the Bible says. They're not considering what would honor God. What they care about is their place. They don't want to lose their place. God is not at the center of these men's universe. He's not at the center of their heart. They don't care. These men love the world. They love power. They love their position. And they love praise from other people. And they're willing to kill a sinless man to keep those things. And they will kill him. Now, it's just turn the microscope on ourselves for a minute. I don't think any of us are in danger of being tempted to kill Jesus. For starters, he's in heaven. And if he were here, you would not be able to kill him. He will not die again. But many of us are tempted to use him to get the same things the Sanhedrin wanted. That's our temptation. Be very careful. It looks different. They killed Jesus because they loved power, position, money, praise. But the root love is the same if we use Jesus to try to get those things. I mean, it's easy, isn't it, when you read the Bible. You see... The Jews in the Old Testament grumbling in the wilderness, and you think, are you serious? <laughs> I would never do that. And then your dinner gets burned, and you're in a bad mood for the next five hours. Or you read about the Sanhedrin, and you think, this is disgusting. You just see the wicked, nasty fruit of their lives. This wicked tree that's grown up. And it's very easy for us to miss that those same seeds of the love of this world are in our own hearts. Loving the praise that comes from people, loving power, loving money, 
loving status or position is poison to your soul. You don't have to have those things to love them. You might have no position. You might have no money. But if you crave those things, it will poison your soul, blind you from being able to see the glory of Jesus, and it will leave your life in ruins. Just loving those things. And we're all in danger. We are. Here's some text. I'm just going to quickly mention some texts from the New Testament to point this out. This is 1 Timothy 6.10. Paul says, The love of money, not having money, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. How about love of praise from people? Who doesn't enjoy being praised by others? Listen to Paul, Galatians 1.10. Am I seeking the approval of man or of God? You can't seek both. Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Do you hear that? If you want people to praise you, you cannot at the same time be a servant of Jesus Christ. In this book, John, John chapter 5, verse 44, Jesus says to the Jewish leaders, How can you believe when you seek glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? The danger of craving glory from other men and women is that it will keep you from being able to believe. 1 John 2.15 Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Wow. The Sanhedrin love this world. And they're willing to kill Jesus to keep the world. And lest we think we're not in danger... I would plead with you to consider Demas. You know who Demas is? He traveled around with Paul, the apostle. He saw amazing things. He saw God save people. He saw wonders. And 2 Timothy 4.10 says that he walked away because he loved this world. The essence of foolishness, church, is trying to find life where you won't get it. This world promises it's going to satisfy, and it won't. So anytime you see love of money, love of power, love of position, love of praise and compliments, put it to death before it puts you to death. Just some questions for you to consider. How do you use and think about your money, your time, your position? If you've got a position at work, some of you do, or among your friends, it's so easy, isn't it, to think that our job is to advance our position, or at least hold our position, keep it. That's not why God has given you the position you have. 
It's so that as long as he lets you have it, you use it for the praise of his name. Oh, be careful that you don't love this world. Is that how you use your money? You think, well, my job is to get more of it. Use it on the things I like. No, God has given you money while you have it for the fame of his name. The time you have, it's not your own. It's for the fame of his name. So when you see in your heart, that's what I'm pleading with you to do. Just by looking at the Sanhedrin, make war not just on money or power, position, no. A craving to keep it and love it. Use all you have for the, sa- for the fame of his name. These men turned from life himself. <laughs> life embodied to cling to ashes. The ashes of this world. That's vanity. It's vain. But I don't think it's the most shocking thing about this passage. The most shocking thing about this passage And the foolishness of the Sanhedrin is that in their attempt to thwart Jesus, they fulfill his plans. Jesus has a plan. His father has a plan. So let's talk about his plan first. And then we'll talk about how they end up fulfilling it. What is God doing? What is God's plan according to this passage? First, God is planning to save sinners through Jesus being punished as a substitute for us. Caiaphas, he's the high priest. His job is to go into the Holy of Holies and make atonement. That's his job. He says in verse 50, It's better for you that one man should die for the people. And John is going to tell us in verse 51 that it was a prophecy. The people should die, but Jesus will die for them. That's God's plan. I'm about to share the good news of Christianity So if you're not a Christian, listen up. This is how you live forever. And if you are a Christian, just enjoy it. Or or if you're a Christian and you just don't know how to share with other people, you're nervous about sharing with other people, listen. Soak it in. When we dishonor God by thinking, feeling, or acting selfishly, We're committing a crime against God. It's called sin. And we're all guilty. And there's no one in this room who could say, I don't act selfishly or think selfishly. We're all guilty. And the crime against God deserves death. The wages, the payment of sin is death. It's Romans 6.23. But God's plan is to save a people for himself. Okay, so here's the good news. So he sends his son to become a human and to live a righteous life that God can count for us. And then 
he will take, Jesus will take the punishment for our sin. This is, this is the heart of the gospel. Jesus is being punished with our punishment on the cross. That's why Jesus has to die. And if you trust him, that's all, trust him. God will look at your life and consider justice to have been done for your sins. And you will have God forever. That's the good news. How many of you have a covering for your car to park underneath? I'm about to ask a series of painful questions for some of you. <laughs> what happened if your car wasn't under something this past week? Levi knows. It was smashed. It was smashed by ice falling from the sky. What do carports do? That's what I call it, a carport. What do they do? They protect your car from the weather. Now, they don't do it by changing the weather. That's not how carports protect your car from the weather. If your car was underneath a carport, and the carport didn't fall on top of it, your car did not receive a beating because the carport did. That's how it works. That's one picture of Jesus the storm gave us this last week. God's wrath is falling on us for sin. And Jesus protects us not by just making it disappear. He takes it on himself so that if we hide in him, under him, we're safe because he takes the hit. The hail falls on him instead of us. There's one man who can shield you from the wrath of God. From the hail of death that is coming our way. There's one man, a sinless man, the son of God. And if you hide in him, you're safe forever. Forever. And you can hide in him not by doing some great feat of strength to show how godly you are. You simply need to hide. Trust. And his death on the cross will be justice for you. Caiaphas, he doesn't realize that he's speaking God's plan. He doesn't realize it. That the Son of God would die in place of the people. That's what, that's what the city needs to hear, church. That's what they need to hear to live forever. And that leads us to the second thing that God is doing in his plan. He's saving, but he's saving from all the nations. Look at what John says in verses 51 and 52. Being high priest that year, Caiaphas prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So we read in last chapter, chapter 10, you remember this? Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. And he says, I have other sheep who are not of this fold. He's talking about the Jewish people. 
He's saying, I must bring them also. What he's talking about are people scattered all over the globe. Every tribe, tongue, and nation. They don't even know who Jesus is yet. And Jesus is saying, they belong to me. I'm dying for them, and I will bring them to myself. God's plan from the beginning was to make a people for himself from every tribe and every nation. Jesus doesn't just save Jews or wherever you're from, Indians. He doesn't just save the British or Pakistanis or South Africans. His purpose is to save from every tribe and nation. So at the end of Matthew chapter 28, you may know this, the Great Commission, Jesus commands his disciples. He says, go out to all the nations, make disciples of them, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. So that's God's purpose. God's purpose is to save people from all the nations of the earth by sending his son to die for them. And he's teaching us to obey him in everything. He's doing that in this room right now. You want, you want evidence that Jesus was telling the truth? 2,000 years later, he's doing what he said he would do right now. He has saved us. We're not Jewish. He saved us from our sins, and he's gathered us, and he's teaching us to trust him and obey him. So if loving this world, we talked about that at the beginning, if loving this world and resisting God's purpose is vanity, it leads to death, ruin, emptiness, then what you want to do with your life is connect to God's purposes for the history of the world. That's what you want to do with your life if you want to experience fullness of life, which means your job is to grow in your own obedience to Jesus as people from all the nations. Do you realize that you're fulfilling Matthew 28 when you grow in your own personal obedience of Jesus as one of the people from among the nations? And you connect your life to the life-giving purposes of God when you give your life to see others know him, especially from among all the nations. This is what God is doing. Connect your life to the purposes of God. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm pleading with you to do right now. Don't live for this world. Connect your life to what God is doing. He's out to save, and he's out to save and make disciples from among all the nations. If your life is not connected to that, figure out how. It's what God is doing. That's a life that means something. Can I give you something to do if you don't know where to start? Start by praying. Start by praying. I know you know people at work, in your own home perhaps, from among the nations that don't know Jesus. Would you just start praying for them daily? Or pick a people group 
and start praying for them daily and watch what God does. He hears prayer. And watch for opportunities that he's going to give you to bring the gospel to them. It's what he's doing in the world, and so he answers prayers like that. So here's where we've been so far. The Jewish leaders love this world. They love their position. They don't want to lose it, and so they resist Jesus. However, God has purposes for Jesus that he will bring to pass. And this, this is our last point. He will always accomplish his purposes even through our resistance to him. Notice first that Caiaphas, he's a wicked man, wicked high priest. He prophesies without realizing it. Verses 49 through 52. One of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. He's a nice guy. Nor do you understand that, that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So John is telling us that as high priest... God uses him to make a prophecy. John tells us that Caiaphas didn't do this of his own accord. I don't think that means he just started talking and was like, what just happened? I think it means he didn't realize that he was prophesying. He thinks he's simply coming up with a plan to get rid of his problem. Jesus. Think with me for a second. What is prophecy? Prophecy is when God speaks through a man or a woman. Caiaphas is speaking with evil intentions. And yet, John tells us, God is speaking. God is speaking through him and his evil intentions for good. God is in control over this evil man. Caiaphas speaks God's words without realizing it because God is in control. I want you to recognize that we have a God like this. God is in control. He's not just God over the good, pleasant things like bunnies, fluffy kittens. He is Lord over all things. That's who our God is. That brings us to our conclusion. These men bring about God's purpose by rejecting him. Verse 53 tells us, from that day on, they made plans to put Jesus to death. So that's the conclusion. Verse 53, before they even have a trial for him, they've decided he's going to die. We'll have a trial. But we've already decided he's dying. And in verse 57, you see they give orders that if anyone knows where he is, they have to report it 
so that they can arrest him. And eventually, through Judas, they will. They'll arrest him and they will kill him. And what will be the result? They fulfill God's plan to save people from every tribe, tongue, and nation through his death. I mentioned at the beginning that it's vanity to love this world because this world can't satisfy. That's, that's one of their problems. But if you look back at the beginning, they're afraid that they're going to lose their position. What do they say? They say, if we let him go on like this, this is verse 48, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So what's their second problem? They love the world and they think that a nation has more control over their future than God does. That's a fatal error. If you think any man, any ruler, any government has a greater influence over your future well-being than God, you are dead wrong. That's why I want you to see how big God's control is. If you understand he is Lord over everything, you won't fear the Romans because they can do nothing apart from his control. Listen to what the church says. This is what the church prays in Acts chapter 4, verses 24 through 31. They pray this. Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? Just like what's happening here. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. I want you to see that whether you follow him or resist him, he will fulfill his purposes through you. But if you resist him, you will lose everything. These men rejected the purposes of God in order to hold on to their power and position because they feared the Romans... And that was the reason they lost everything. I saw that this week. I was reading the Bible with my son. Luke chapter 19. Jesus is approaching Jerusalem. He knows he's about to die. And he looks over the city of Jerusalem. And this is what he says. Oh, Jerusalem, that you had known the things that would bring peace. 
But now you're going to be surrounded by your enemies. He's talking about the Romans. And destroyed because you did not know the time of your visitation. They put Jesus to death because they're afraid of the Romans. And Jesus says, if you had known, if you had known what brings peace, if you had submitted to me, you could have been saved. But they didn't submit to Jesus and they lost everything. Think about your future. The question mark that hangs over your future is not, will God win? Question mark. Will God win in your life? He will. The question mark over your future is this. Will you live for his purposes now? Or for your own purposes? He's going to work his. But the way you answer that last question is the difference between everlasting joy and fullness of life and vanity, waste, and death. So that's my plea with you this morning. Consider your own life. Hear the truth of this passage. God is going to win. He'll accomplish his purposes. And his purposes are wonderful, aren't they? They're wonderful. He's out to save anyone who trusts in him. And he's calling you to connect your life to that. His purposes are wonderful and inevitable. He can't be stopped. So be wise. Be wise. Use all he's given you. Position, power, money, for the fame of his name and seeing others trust in him from among every tribe, nation, and people. This is God's invincible purpose. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are Lord of all. Thank you that we need not fear any man because you hold our lot. You hold our future. Oh, I pray that you would make us a people who are zealous that others would know you, that others would find shelter beneath your son who took the wrath of God for us. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Use us. Fill us with the Spirit. Oh, Lord, I pray for those in this room who don't know you, that they would see how glorious your purposes are. And that you would make them believe. We love you, Father. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.